2: A warmer brother hello! Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for Cusco Soups with myself, Craig Ape Spears, And then we've got a great podcast for you. Here in segment number one, gonna give you guys a little bit of a recap as to what we saw in Tuesday in college basketball. And we've got four returns from what we saw in game one of the college basketball season. So we'll give you guys some of the trends, what we've been seeing in general to begin the college basketball season. Coming up in segment number two, Terrence Oglesby. He does a terrific job over there at the field of 68 on top of that. Does a nice job doing some play-by-play work as well. He was actually on the call of the Stetson upset over Florida State, so I'll get his thoughts there, get his thoughts on the ACC as a whole, and just how sometimes... We do see some of these teams that, to begin the season, they're out ahead of others because they've got a lot of returning experience. I think that that is something critical to look at. So we'll dive into that in segment number two and then in at the final segment, picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Wednesday as we had some bank shots, so got a little bit of everything. And if you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you, for this podcast, you have know, one of two ways we'll fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at unit underscore 81. Keep in mind letters here. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way, that's fine an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you are able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Really didn't get in a lot of Twitter questions today, other than, why does Montana suck so much? and. That was a bad one on my part. I do apologize about that. But we will recap that and take a look at what we're all getting this college basketball season thus far in the early going. Games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. I know. We did see quite a few overs in college basketball on Tuesday as well as I am doing this. The only two unders that we have seen compensate in Georgetown just wrapping up, trending a little bit under, but we shall see there were Purdue versus Milwaukee and Providence versus Ryder as for Purdue, they just completely curbs on UW-Milwaukee by count of 84-53. to 53. Zach Eady, 12 points, 17 rebounds. This is going to be a rough go of it for UW-Milwaukee and company. I do like the coaching hire that they made in the offseason as they bring in the guys from Queens-NC to be able to coach them up. And they were able to get 19 points out of B.J. Freeman, but... For Purdue, new-look team, 12-34 from three-point range, including stud freshman Fletcher Lawyer. I think that he was a little bit under the radar. He went 5-12 of 12 from three-point range, so absolutely a stomping there. A lot of double-digit favorites have been able to do a solid job to begin the season, but we saw a pair not be able to cover on Tuesday as Providence. They barely survive against Ryder by a count of 66-65. They got down by as many as, I believe, 14 in this one. They then rallied to be able to take a relatively sizable lead and then Ryder pushed them very, very late as Ryder. They went 9 of 14 from 3-point range. Dwight Murray Jr., taking note of him, 18 points, 6 boards, 4 assists. He went 4 of 5 from 3-point range. And Alan Bertrand, someone who's been out of sight, out of mind for quite a while, 9.7 of boards, but the reason why Providence... Is able to get this one done. Is that Ed Crosswell had a double double 13.7 boards and Bryce Hopkins in his first game in a Providence uniform? He was able to do a solid job 18.6 boards, but for Providence, they need to work on those free throws. 26 of 43 at the charity stripe while Ryder went 8 of 10 and Providence hits their free throws. Much less of a sweat in this one, but Providence, they still are able to get the job done outright. Hartford, with them having their coach resign, literally like, minutes before the start of the season. They lose the Sacred Heart by a count of 77-70. to 70. It's just a rough go of it for a Hartford team that's going to be at the D3 level at this time next season. But they did have Briggs and McLean be able to pour in their 24 points. Um, that was a little bit of a nice showing. The start of the G.G. Jackson era in South Carolina starts with a win, but it wasn't a terrific win. 80-77, to 77, South Carolina State, one of the worst teams in all of college basketball, very n- nearly knocked them off. And for South Carolina State, Credit where credit is, too. A 4 of 9, 3-point shooting performance out of Raheem Gary as he was able to pour in there 12 points. You got 20 points out of Lusum Hullums who I really did not think was going to be able to contribute very much, but there he was. He was able to have himself a big night. And for Gigi Jackson, double-double out of him, 18 points, 10 rebounds. And Hayden Brown. Undersized guy that comes in from the Citadel. He had 21 points to bail the team out, but 21 of 32 at the free throw line for South Carolina. That's a little bit concerning. And then I thought that Montana was going to be able to give a good showing. I was wrong, and I am very... Open to admitting that this was a terrible call. 91 to 63. Duquesne gets a ton. Credit where credit is due for Duquesne. Day Grant. He did not miss a shot from before. Six of six from three. Twenty-five points for Montana. Thirteen turnovers. They were clearly missing Cam Parker in the backcourt. Who he moved on during the offseason. You did have 19 points, five boards, and four assists out of Josh Bannon, but man. For Duquesne, they just absolutely curb stomped this Grizzlies team, and they did a good job of just getting them out of their offense. You did also see East Carolina get the job done outright against Mercer as a very slight home underdog. Home underdogs now 3-6 and six against the spread this college basketball season, 77-75 to 75 the final as you had a very good performance for Mercer transfer Jalen McCreary, who was at South Florida last season, 18 points, but... For East Carolina, after getting down double figures early, they were able to rally back as Brandon Johnson, 24 points, 7 boards. He was a big reason why in free throw shooting, big in this one. East Carolina, they go 13-21 of 21 at the free throw line. Mercer, 13-23 of 23 at the free throw line. I know that I've had quite a few of you guys ask me what I make out of totals to begin the season, if we see a little bit of a trend to the over, a little bit of a trend to the under. And I know that specifically, I know that a few of you guys were asking me specifically on under's end, Honestly, I think that we see a little bit more in terms of the over just because teams are looking to try out different things. You do see a lot of things get harebrained, and especially when you get blowouts like we saw in Duquesne versus Montana. You saw 90 points scored in that second half in a game in which there was just 64 points scored in the first half. So with a lot of these blowouts, you actually do see quite a few overs because it just turns into like open gym in the second half when you've got a team like Purdue up big on Milwaukee when you've got a team like Duquesne up big on Montana so I do think that that is something to take note of. San Jose State versus Georgia Southern is a game that is not final as I am recording this but also had to do this a little bit early on Monday as well so I'll give you guys a few of those finals that were a little bit more shocking if you had Tulsa and had a 19 point lead with them I really do feel bad for you as Oregon State They were able to rally back by kind of 73 to 70. Anyone that was with me and took 25.5 with Sacramento State, I will just say that that is one of the worst beats you're going to find in a very long time. Sacramento State, down 22 points within the final 30 seconds when you have that sort of a differential and you're getting 25.5, you better be able to get there and you did not. That was not good. UC Davis, they take down Cal by kind of 75 to 65. It's going to be not good for Cal this season once again, as you had Devin Askew actually put up a nice game 19 points for assists. But for UC Davis, again, 6 of 14 from three point range. And, well, UC Davis, a rebound to Cal by kind of 40 to 34. It's probably going to be a very, very long year for them. Pepperdine impressed me. They put up 106 on rice, go Owls, as you had Lorenzo Romar do a good job with one of his star guys in Maxwell Lewis, put in there 29 points, and he's him a lot, 22 points, 5 boards, 5 assists, very impressed by what I saw there, and then one of the biggest sunners, Dunk City, they go on the road and they take down USC by kind of seventy-four to sixty-one. USC went just three of nineteen from three point range. Vincent Ichuku being out of the fold certainly hurts some, but take note of this Dunk City team. They're actually gonna be in action on Wednesdays. they got 20 points off the bench out of Chase Johnson. That was very good for them as he last season was actually with these sets and headers, and then one other result I thought was notable Arizona put up 117 points without Courtney Ramey in the fold as pummeled a pummel day. Nichols team that I think is going to be able to win the Southland this season. Now the Southland not the most special conference out there in the world and they were able to get Micah Thomas going for 20 points so that's good for Nichols but Arizona was able to just carve up a defense that now well, they were allowing a whole lot of just rim running in general. Arizona did have 24 turnovers in this game but Pele Larson He had a double-double, 16 points, 10 boards, 4 assists. He looked very solid. Kirk Carissa, he had just one turnover and 7 assists. So, very good returns there. And there's been good returns if you've been taking a look at overs thus far this season in college basketball. As I'm doing this, we've got a couple games that have yet to go final from Tuesday. But, that said, if you're taking a look at overs right now, you have seen... 66 games go over to just 62 under. So the over is sitting at right around about a 51 and a half to a 52% clip. We've seen a few pushes as well. So these are going to vary a little bit based on your closing numbers. And in terms of how we've been seeing favorites doing, favorites have been able to do a quite solid job of being able to cover the spread thus far. They are currently 67, 64, and 1 against the spread as I record this once again. A few games from... Tuesday, that duty to go final, but thus far, it's been pretty good for our favorites, especially sizable favorites. I'll try to give you guys exact numbers on how teams that are like a 15 or a 20-point favorite are doing, but those have been hitting quite a bit as well, and a man that does a great job of just hitting a little bit of everything in terms of his college basketball knowledge. i would be Terrence Oglesby of the Field of 68. We're going to talk a little bit about the ACC with them. Going to be talking about if Florida State is a team that we should be taking note of as a bunch that might not be able to achieve what we were expecting them to this season. And how some of these veteran teams, they might have a little bit of a leg up the start of this college basketball season. That's up next right here on Cubs with myself, Greg Spears, and now a part of the DC Family Podcast. here, love you, Las Vegas. we with myself, Greg Peters, and now part of the Beason Family of Podcast. Great to have on this guest, Terrence Oglesby. He was a sharpshooter while he was at Clemson. Now he's just giving out sharp analysis when it comes to the great game of college basketball. You're able to catch him on many play-by-play and color analysis roles throughout the college basketball season. I believe that he was on the call of Florida say versus Stetson, fight a big upset to begin the season. So I'm going to be talking about that and so much more with Terrence, a man that I know that he does a great job of taking a look at basketball in the Southeast part of the country, along with the ACC and you're able to follow him on Twitter at T underscore Oglesby, and then the number 22 altogether. Yeah. And Terrence, always great to have you, aboard. Thank you.
3: Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Greg. Season is finally here. It's time to stop talking about it and, and actually see some games played. Everybody's done their previews. Everybody's done their final four predictions. And now we get to see the rubber hit the road a little bit. And, uh, you know, not a great slate of games, but at the same time, it's good to just have basketball back in general.
2: It is great to have college basketball back and it's so great to have so much madness back in the fold as well as I know that you were taking a look at Florida State versus Stetson night number one at Stetson. As a large underdog, they take down Florida State outright and I was wondering how the injuries were going to be hurting Florida State and Clearly, they did hurt him in this game. As Baba Miller, who we expected to be able to play a role for the team, he is out just due to suspension. Jalen Gainey, he's out for the season as well. So, not good to start out with for Florida State. And how do you feel about this overall? outlook for Florida State, because I don't think you want to overreact to one game, but a loss of Stetson, in my opinion, is pretty inexcusable as well.
3: Here's the thing. Stetson had a couple of guards that really got hot. That's number one. Number two is Florida State has an issue at the point guard position. Jalen Worley, for whatever reason, was not in the starting lineup. I don't know that I can divulge that information or not, so I'm just not going to explain why, but he was not in the starting lineup. He was a little bit limited. There's nobody on Florida State that makes... Baskets easy for somebody else. They have a bunch of guys that can do a lot of different things, but not really an assist guy, not a Trent Forrest, a setup man. They're just not that type of player. They tried to play Caleb Mills at the one to start the game, and then you had a bunch of guys around them that need offense facilitated for them. Caleb Mills is more of a score-first type of player. You need more of a pure point guard, which is why Jalen Worley needs to step into a bigger role. Then you also look down the line, Chandler Jackson, freshman from Memphis, 6'4", point guard, big body, kind of a bully ball guard. He's also out with a thumb injury. So this is a Florida State team over the course of last season really struggled with injuries, and it seems like to start out this season, it's much of the same, but Worley needs to step up and be good. There's going to be some lineup tinkering, but that's not to take anything away from how well Stet- uh, Stetson played. Stefan Swenson was terrific. The point guard from Belgium could get wherever he wanted. And whenever you're playing a team like Florida State with that type of size and that kind of pressure around a perimeter, that says a lot that he can still get into the paint get some open looks for some of his teammates. And this Stetson team has guys who can make shots, Stetson was picked towards the bottom of the A-Sun. I would be shocked if that would be the case at the end of the season.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. I feel like Stetson was a little bit undervalued. I think that they're a very well-coached team as well, a program that they've been in a little bit of transition the last few seasons. They had some unexpected things pop up last season as their main scorer decided that he was going to be exiting stage left towards the back half of the season last year so. Setson had to play much of the conference slate without Rob Perry. So that did hurt them quite a bit as Terrence Oglesby is joining me on the podcast. And when it comes to the ACC schools in general, I do feel like there were a few that left something to be desired. Certainly Duke coming out and just completely thrashing Jacksonville. That is what you like to see. And I think for Virginia, having to go up against North Carolina a and that's actually a very solid school. I think that... There's a lot of people that they're going to make something out of that. I don't at all because I do think that NC Central, they're going to be very good out there in the MIAC. But that said, when you see a school like Wake Forest have a little bit of a tough time against Fairfield, I think that that raises a few eyebrows. Boston College, they were barely able to get by for Cornell. So I think that was a little bit of an up and down first night for the ACC.
3: All that being said, what was the ACC 12 and 1? I mean, at this point of the season, a wins a wins, a loss is a loss cuz you're still trying to figure out your team as a coach. And not only that, when you play some of these smaller conference schools, like an A-Sun team, like a MiYak, like a Jacksonville also in the A-Sun, you're going to run into to teams and coaches that will switch up their defenses, will go from 2-2-1 two, two, full court pressure back into a zone off of makes, and then off of misses, they will get back into a man-to-man. They'll switch some things up, and it really forces your on-court personnel to make decisions for, their, for themselves. Well, in today's day and age, these transfers haven't played for their head coaches all that long. So what's their go-to whenever some of these situations occur? You're still learning your teams. You see right now, uh, we're looking at Providence and Ryder. Ryder has done a little bit of that. Providence has a lot of transfers coming into the fold, but at the same time, Ryder's mixing up their defenses, and now they're having to adapt to the, to all the changes. Those are the kinds of teams that have success early in the season against some of these Power Five opponents.
2: Yeah, to your point, Ryder was able to get out to a double-digit lead in the first half against Providence, which I think was just absolutely incredible. And who are a few schools that you take a look at bringing back some experience at might be able to surprise towards the beginning part of the season because I did think that Virginia was going to be one of those teams. Virginia, a school that they were able to get the job done against. NC Central would have liked it to be a little bit more convincing, but still, I do think that they're going to be in for a relatively solid season. But I am curious to see here who are a few schools that you take a look at and maybe they won't be there at the end of the season, but at the beginning of the season, because they do have all that experience returning, they're going to be in front of a lot of these teams that might be in a little bit of transition.
3: You know, I hate to say it, but North Carolina has all the momentum, mostly from all these same players. And this team is a team that knows each other. They don't really pass the ball all that well to each other. Towards the big dance, that's when they really started sharing the ball, and R.J. Davis was making shots easy for some of the guys around him. I think they had – what single-digit assist? That's a team that I would look at. I get UCLA vibes, and I hate to even say that when it comes to an ACC team, but sometimes you have to worry about some of those things because of this sporadic success that they had, and their spurt just happened to be right at the end of the year, at the best time of the year. Are you going to be able to get that North Carolina team for the entire season? That's my biggest concern, but for the most part, you got to look at Ken Palm right now. In the top 30, was it 35 teams? There's been 34 games played and they're 34 now. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to learn a ton from what we saw. Not a tremendous slate of games. You're playing a lot of bottom feeders in Division One and Division Two, for that matter. It's just part of the process for a lot of these people. They're using these, for a lot of these people, a lot of the coaches and programs that they're trying to use this as kind of an extra exhibition game, if you will, because they're only getting one, maybe two. It's part of their learning curve. And then sometimes you run into a buzzsaw.
2: Yep. And I think the worst loss I was taking was Oklahoma losing to Sam Houston State. So to your point, it certainly was a case of which all the teams that we thought were going to be dominant were dominant. Night number one, USC going down, I think was a surprise to a lot of people, including myself, to a Florida Gulf Coast team that we were talking about the Atlantic Set a little bit earlier with sets, and that's a team that you want to look out for as well. I like the way the Pat Chambers has built them up, so. We shall see what they're going to be able to deliver this season. As joining me on the podcast, we do have Terrence Oglesby, and we've talked a lot about the ACC. And one team that has yet to tip it off that is going to on Wednesday that I've got massive concerns with, that'd be Louisville. They're going to be going up against a Bellarmine team that we were once again talking about the Atlantic Sun. And there's another one of those teams. They won the Atlantic Sun tournament last season. And I do think that this could be a little bit of a scare, Scott, for Louisville. Now, I don't think that they're going to lose the game outright. I'm seeing them as a 12-point favorite when it comes to the betting line, but that said, I take a look at this Louisville team, and they really have no backward whatsoever, and we talk a lot about some of these teams with experience, some of these teams with veterans being out in front of teams in transition, and Louisville, I think, is your textbook team that is isn't quite a bit of transition with Bringing in the paint train at coach going up against a Bellarmine team that it's a philosophy which a whole is greater than the sum of its parts for them.
3: I'm in complete agreement. And Bell, was it Bellarmine? This is a team that came up their first year in Division One and won their league. I mean that says a lot in and of itself. And then you look at how they play. They're very methodical. They're going to be able to break Louisville down. And in Kenny Payne's first year, that roster better be able to overwhelm Bellarmine, or it's going to be tough sledding for the Cardinals. It's going to be a tough season all around. Point guard play at Louisville. Not great. Already lost to Lenore Ryan as an exhibition game. Lenore Ryan's going to finish in the middle of the conference in the Division II South Atlantic Conference. So it's not like they lost to a juggernaut Division II squad. Belmont, to me, that is probably the worst type of matchup for Louisville because of how they play and how efficient they can be at times because of the offenses that they run and how disciplined they are. Louisville, we don't really know what to expect from Kenny Payne, but one thing that we do know is that early indications suggest that they're going to struggle at the point guard position. And that's not a good thing when you're going against a really disciplined team.
2: Yep, I totally agree with you. I think that that's going to be relatively tough for them as well. And Terrence, when it comes to this early week of the college basketball season, you just mentioned it. We've got a lot of games which is involving, let's call it what it is, sort of blowout matchups. You've got a lot of teams that rank mm-hmm. in the Ken Palm top 50 they're going to be playing against, teams that rank in the Ken Palm bottom 100. Is this just a case of which you really don't have a lot in terms of big takeaways, in terms of just any of these teams that win big. And if you do see a loss like Florida State versus Stetson, it's just really a little bit more of a red flag. Or can there be some positive takeaways with some of these teams as well? Because I do think that, to your point from a little bit earlier, it is a bit tough to gauge games where you do have things like a Boston College versus Cornell, where even with a Cornell being able to push Boston College, it's not like I'm necessarily going to be lowering them too much in that spot, and then you've got a lot of games that it just is going to be involving teams that are completely overly matched.
3: Yeah, it seems that way. It was kind of a pitiful way to open the season just because there were no really marquee matchups, right? But I, I, I take everything in the first few games with a grain of salt. Like, a lot of Florida State's problems, for example, the game that I was calling on television, it was a lot of those problems were a result of lineup configuration, and they got behind the eight ball because they didn't have a point guard in the game. So, as you move forward, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how those lineup adjustments are made. The only thing is you can't lose those games in the early non-conference because this is when your resume is made. If Stetson goes on and really struggles in the A-Sun, that's a really bad loss for the Seminole. So how do you move forward and adjust off that first game shock?
2: I think that that's such a good point that you bring up. And Terrence, I know that you're doing a great job taking a look at the game that we love of college basketball. You were on the call of Florida State versus Setson. I know that you've got a lot of calls. They're going to be coming up this season as well, doing an amazing job taking a look at this game that we love. So let the good people know they're able to follow you on social media and just everything that you have going on in general.
3: At T underscore Oglesby 22 this Friday. I got another good one, Greg. You're going to like this matchup. Furman against Belmont. Belmont just got a last second shot. That was exciting. That is two high-level mid-major programs going head to head in Greenville, South Carolina. I'll be on the call for that. And then next Monday, I'm going to get to see Ed Cooley in Providence take on a Stonehill who's new to Division One. But a little curveball here: Ed Cooley went to Stonehill, so it's going to be a nice night of basketball there. And then next week, uh, I fly to Austin, Texas. Wednesday to take part with a field of 68 we are going to be in Austin for Texas versus Gonzaga and that is going to be a fun time as well it's going to be a busy month of November but basketball is finally here
2: yep as you alluded to some of the matchups you'd like them to be a little bit more competitive here in the first week but really starting week number two things are going to be getting hot and heavy I know that Terrence is doing a great job of taking a look at all the action and Giving us all the great insights as to what he's seeing out there on the court. He's got a great player's perspective. A big thanks, Sam, for joining me right here on Coast to Coast. He's a part of the Beeson Family podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis for every game on the college basketball betting board for this Wednesday as we hit some bank shots.
4: Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts.
2: And we're back here at Lovey Las Vegas for Coast to with myself, Greg Epps-Pierce, and now part of the Bees and Family Podcast, and it is always a pleasure to get Terrence Oglesby aboard. He was a sharpshooter while he was over there at Clemson. Now he's a sharpshooter and being able to provide great analysis on the game that we love in college basketball. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I do give you picks and analysis. On every game on the college basketball board for this Wednesday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. You note that as per usual, any changes are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at juniorscored one Going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order, the extra games, those are games that involve teams that are from the Patriot League, the Atlantic Sun, I believe that we also have a game for the SWAC as well, those are going to be at the bottom, so like Florida AM and m is going to be at the bottom along with like American versus Maris, all the other games, they're going to be up top and I believe in time order, so Let's get it started with 763, 764 on the betting board. It is Davidson, and they are going to be on the road facing off against Wright State. Wright State hopes to be the right side as they are a three-point underdog, and your total on this game is aimed between 147 and 147.5. I think the wrong team is favored here. I did make Wright State the two-point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to take them on the money line now. I recognize that it is a Wright State team that they lose quite a bit from last season as they were able to have Grant Bazile be able to give you right around 17 or so points per contest. Hannah Holden, he was holding it down. He was able to give you 20 points per contest, but it's the return of Amari Davis to the Ryzen Lake. Last time he was in the Ryzen Lake, you have to go back to the 2020-21 campaign. He was at UW-Green Bay put in their 17 points, 2 assists, 1.5 steals per contest. He is going to be a walking bucket for this Wright State team. Tim Finke, he returns after being a 6-of-6 six six combo player and was able to pour in their 9.5 boards per contest. We're we'll to get back to the form that he had two seasons ago where he had more like 10.7 boards and shot over 40% from 3-point range, but Brandon Noel is someone that is solid in the backcourt. Keaton Norris last season, a little bit of a disappointing season, but was able to shoot it well from 3-point range in a higher role. I do think that he's going to be able to do a nice job. A long double-figure score Trey Calvin, and for Davidson, the loss of Hunjun Lee I don't think is being talked about enough. He was absolutely terrific for this team last season, putting in their 18-plus points per contest. Good rebounder now. They do return quite a bit from last season, like Sam Mamenga, he was able to put in their 11-11 and 11 in the opening night game. He's able to shoot over 40% from three last season, shot 46.7% from three-point range with 8.5 points per contest, so he's able to do a solid job on that from Foster. Lawyer is back after He last season shot 44% from 3, 16 points per contest. And they do bring in a few players via the transfer portal like William and Mary. Transfer Connor Cotero was able to put in their 10 points per contest. David Skogman is coming in. From Buffalo, you should be able to give the team a little bit of rebounding as well, but it's a bit of a coaching regime change for Davidson. It stays in the McKellup family, but Bob McKellup is out of the fold for the first time in a very long time. I do think that it is going to be a bunch that is going to be in a little bit of transition as a result, and not easy to go into the Nutter Center and get a W. I do think that Wright State is going to be able to get it done. I do like them on the money line, as I set Wright State as a two-point favorite Wright State. They're traditionally a very up-tempo team and Davidson. I think they're going to play a little bit faster this year and they're always a team that they give up the three, but they also shoot it well from three as well. Davidson, a top 15 team in all of college basketball, in three-point shooting percentage on the road. So, so total at 149, looking over and making Wright State the favorite. I'm going to be taking them on the money line outright. 765, 766 on the betting board. It is UT Martin on the road facing off against Youngstown State. The Penguins are an eight-point favorite and your turn on this game. And we're doing 152 and 152.5 Youngstown State I think is going to be able to hold it down on defense a little bit better than they did night number one as they did allow to Canisius 81 points, but that said, I do think that they are better than this UT Martin bunch At much was expected from them opening night against Pittsburgh and the line got a little bit too far out of whack. I do like that Parker Stewart is back in full for the team. While he was at UT Martin about three or so years ago, he was able to put in their 19 points per contest, shot 35% from three, but was a bit of a disappointment at Indiana two seasons ago. He completely sat out all together, so he's in a bit of transition. I do like that they brought in Jordan Sears as well. He had eight points in the opener, but after shooting 40% from three-point range at Gardner-Webb as a freshman last season, shot more, more like 22% from three-point range, so it's appearing as though that freshman year was a little bit of a mirage, and this team just really doesn't have a whole lot of lot down low. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Penguins, and the fact that they bring in someone like a Garrett Covington, that is absolutely massive for them. He played limited minutes at night number one, but he was limited to just three games last season when he was able to play out there fully on the court during the 2020-21 season, half points, 4.5 boards, thirty. 34% three-point shooter. Good versatility there, and Malik Green had a double-double in the season opener after he was registering around 11 points and four rebounds per game at Canisius. But if you take out the second half of the season, he was averaging more like 14 to 15 points per contest to begin the season before he got banged up. They've done a nice job bringing in guys like Brandon Rush via the transfer portal to help them out. You should be able to have the best pure rebounder in this game, and Adrian Nelson as well. He had seven boards in the season opener last season. Northern Kentucky was able to register seven rebounds per game. UT Martin, I think, is going to just get completely plowed on the glass. And UT Martin has been a team that's been in a little bit of transition. You take a look at this coaching staff, and they don't seem to be wanting to play overly fast, 152.5. Just seems like a total that is a little bit too much based off of what we saw opening night out of Youngstown State. Youngstown State, you tell that they're looking to build a little bit more of a defensive identity, and I do think that they're going to be able to do so, and I certainly don't think that Dwayne Coyle is going to be turning the ball over six times like he did opening night. So I did set my total at 146.5. I'm diving under with Youngstown State. Anything of single digits I'm willing to lay, set them as a a 9.5 point favorite. 767, 768 on the betting board. James Madison is going to be playing us to Hampton. The Pirates are between a 15-and-a-half and a 16 point underdog. In your total on this game, it is between 149 and 149-and-a-half. I did some my at 151. James Madison blew out the non-D1 team that they were playing, and it was by, like, 80 points or something like that. I don't take a whole like lot into that as it was just a complete and utter butt-kicking on that one, but that said, what I do take a lot of stock into is that this is a James Madison team that has won the deeper mid-majors that you're going to find in all of college basketball, and they bring in someone in Noah Friedel who last season was at South Dakota State, was able to put in their 14.5 points per contest while shooting 40% from three-point range. He was their leading scorer towards the first half of the season and he came out, had a very nice opening night. You don't really have that one demonstrative rebounder, Jarrell Robertson. He had 11 rebounds in the team season opener. He's star freshman that a lot of folks are high on, but that said, it was against a 91 school, so I'm going to be tempering expectations there But for Hampton. This team was terrible from three-point range last season. They were 344th in the country in terms of three-point shooting percentage. They only had two guys averaged more than 8.1 points per contest, and the top of those, including their leading rebounder, Najee Garvin, he's now out of the fold, so it's not too terrific for this Hampton bunch. They are really going to be relying upon the St. Louis transfer in Jordan Nesbitt, 6 combo player that last season average 8 points, 4 boards per contest. When I was at St. Louis, relatively highly touted guy, but there's not a whole heck of a lot else around him. Raymond Bethay, he returns after last season, giving the team right around 5.5 points, 3 boards per contest. You do have back as well someone who was able to put in there right around 8 points per game. And Marquise Godwin, Godwin was able to shoot about 39% from 3-point range, so I should be able to help them out a little bit. But that like I said, it's all on Russell Dean. Dean, a guy that was able to do all 4 assists per contest, but also 3.5 turnovers per game, so he's a little bit prone there. And James Madison. One of the things that they do very well is they're able to rip the ball away. Last season they were averaging so many steals. They got 16 in the season opener once again. Don't read a whole lot into that but James Madison year in and year out. One of the top teams in terms of turnovers force on a per-possession basis with Hampton having a point guard at Mr. Dean that gives the ball away left, right, and sideways. I think that this is a bad matchup for them. I did set James Madison as a result as a 17 and point favorite won't life, James Madison. Very much an up-tempo team. Hampton played a little bit slower last season but also was one of the worst offensive teams at all of college basketball as well. I think that Hampton is looking to play with a little bit more tempo this season set by total at a 151. So looking at the over as well, 769, 770 on the betting board. It is Drake, and they're going to be playing us to IUPUI. Old Ewee Peewee finding themselves as a 28.5 at a 29-point underdog, and I'm pretty sure that they name off their name in the exact little girlish tone that I gave right there, and your total on this game is between 131 and 132, and Ewee Bewee. Dewey is a spot that I am going to be taking. I made this a 25 and a half point line. I do think that Drake is going to be rock solid this season and the reason why I do think that Drake is going to be good is that leading scorer last season, Tucker DeVries, I like his game but it felt like they had to put the ball in his hands a little bit too much because they were dealing with injuries all season long to Roman Penn, their main point guard. Now that Roman Penn is back in the fold and that he is fully healthy, that is terrific because when the team was able to make the NCAA tournament during the 2020-21 season for one, he was actually out there on the court for a bunch of the season. Last season, he missed something like seven or eight games, and when he was out there, he wasn't 100%, but was able to give the team 11 points, 5.5 assists, shot 33% from three. He was down to about 22.5% three-point shooting last season, and was only giving out four assists per contest, and I do think that getting the ball back in his hands that is going to be tremendous for this team. You've also got DJ up, Wilkins, who was able to shoot 39% from three with a little bit over 10 points per contest as well, and Sadar Calhoun. He enters in after he spent some time with Florida State, along Texas A&M. Really didn't get out there on the floor last season, two seasons ago. At the Power Conference level, five and a half points per contest, shot forty percent from three. That really gives the team another dimension out there in the backcourt, and then. Garrett Sturz. He's only 6'3", but he registered 7 rebounds per contest. A guy that does a good job of being able to rip down those rebounds and for IUPUI. They're just completely breadth of size in general. That is not terrific for this team. They're dealing with Bryce Monroe, really their main transfer, dealing with a little bit of an injury right now, which means that Chris Osten, who is a 6'9 gentleman that began his career at Arizona State, he needs to step up after he had just 3 rebounds in the season opener against Iowa State. Good news is, they got something out of Jalen Counter, the sophomore He was able to put in their 16 points per contest and... Looks like there's a little bit of upside there, but other than him, nobody scored more than six points in that game against Iowa State. This team had 29 turnovers in that game. They cannot hold on to the ball. They cannot shoot the three. It is going to be rough. At the same time, I do think that Drake is going to be in a little bit of transition as well. I think that this is a spot in which the line has just gotten a little bit too far out of whack in a game that is going to be a relative eyesore. I set my total at 123 half. I do like the under IUPUI just in games in which the total was north of 130. I think that they've cashed you over once in the last two years and I don't think that this is going to be time number two. I'm going to be taking a look at this total under and I'm going to take 29 with Ewee Pee-wee. 771-772 on the betting board. It is LSU. They're going to be playing OCUMKC Yo kangaroos of Kansas City are between a 22 and a 22 and a half point underdog. So this game is aimed between 142 and 142 and a half, and I did set my total at a 136 You've now got Matt McMahon and pretty much the entirety of Murray State taking over this LLC program. And at Murray State last season, Matt McMahon really got his team to play solid defense. They were in the top 10. 25 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And bringing over a lot of those guys, like a Trey Hannibal, who's actually spent some time in the SEC, is able to rip the ball away. Justice Hill last season when he was at Murray a half points, steal per contest, 36%, three-point shooter. And then K.J. Williams, six for ten gentlemen, that's able to pop threes. That is solid. Kendall Coleman, up transfer from Northwestern State, was able to average a double-double in the Southland last season. Then you take a look at UMKC, and it's now the start of the Marvin Menzies era. Yes, I said that correctly. Marvin Menzies era as Shamari Allen was able to have a nice... Game to begin the season. He had 14 points to lead things off. So that's all it after he last season was a little bit more of a reserve for the team. He should be looked to to have the ball in his hands quite a bit because there is a lot of turnover in terms of the backcourt. But what I do like for the team is that Anderson Copp is back in the fold. Cop was able to shoot 42% from three-point range last season. Did see it sit out the season opener. So you do want to be taking note of that. But also UMKC. And he lost to Lincoln of Missouri in that season opener. Now, Lincoln of Missouri is actually... A relatively solid D2 school, but I do think that for UMKC, they were resting some guys and they got a little bit too fat and happy on that one. And I do think that they're going to be a little bit more motivated in this game because with LSU, they don't bring back darn near anyone other than Milwani Wilkinson that saw uh, minutes last season. Wilkinson, four points, three boards per contest. He should be able to give this team a little bit of something, so that'll be able to help them out along with Adam Miller being back after he was banged up. But I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a team in transition. I don't think that UMKC is going to be shooting five of 20. 25 from three point range, much like they did against Lincoln Missouri. They had a double figure lead throughout much of it, and they just couldn't shoot to save their lives. I do think that this is going to be a UMKC team that they're going to have a little bit of a tough time on offense. I did set my total at 136.5. I'm diving under, and with LSU, could only make them a 20 and a half point favorite with all the kinks that they need to sort out as well. So, going to be taking a look at the points with the kangaroo 773, 774 on the betting board. It is Seton Hall, and they are going to be playing on Monmouth. Monmouth is a 19 to an 18 and a half point underdog. Seeing a straight 20 out there as well. Totals anywhere between 135 and 135 and a half. Mahometh as a 15 and a half point underdog. You've got the start of the regime of Shaheem Holloway. Holloway, as we know, he did a tremendous job coaching up the St. Peter's Peacocks into the Elite Eight. And I do think that it is going to be a very solid year for at Seton Hall, but I do think that it could take a little bit of time for all these pieces to be able to get online as they bring in Alamir Dawes, who last season was at Clum City. He was able to do a rock-solid job putting in their 11.5 points per contest, shot 40% from three-point range. Dre Davis was a part of that Louisville backcourt, and Casey Undefu, he was actually the top shot blocker in all of college basketball two seasons ago, but... Pulling up now to the Big East, that is going to be a little bit of transition, and I'm just curious to see what you get out of Kadari Richmond. Master of none, but very good at very many things. Nine points, three and a half boards, four assists, shot 34 and a half percent from three-point range, just a six foot six, a little bit of a combo player, and then... Jameer Harris is back to fold after he shot 37% from three-point range. You've got to feel like Seton Hall is really going to be taking on that defensive style of Shane Holloway, who played relatively fast while he was at St. Peter's, but at the same time, it seems always played a lot of defense. And for Monmouth, this was not an up-tempo team last season either, and they do lose quite a few of their top guys from last season, like uh, Nakai Ruti, who was able to give the team 7.5 rebounds per game. He's out of the fold along Craig Greg Pappas. That's a little bit sad to see, but that said, I do think that Miles Foster is going to be able to take some stride forward after last season, he gave the team right around 5.5 points per contest. They're dealing with quite a few transfers, so someone like Miles Ruth is going to need to give this team a little bit of a backbone after last season. Not so great two seasons ago. Shot 37.5% from three-point range, and I'm very curious to see what you're going to be able to get down low on this team as they bring in Aman Sadu. He is a 7-footer that I think could be able to do some very solid things with this team, but in a little bit of transition without Rudy at the same time. Shem Hallway, he's going to need a little bit of time to get things ironed out with this team as well. Mahmoud did a solid job of taking a look at some freshmen and some guys at the junior college level to be able to help out this roster, so I do think that Mammoth is going to be stable enough to be able to cover this number. I think that it's going to be a low-scoring game. I think that Mammoth going to be solid with their defense seat and all as well, so I did set my total at a 133.5. I'm going to be diving under, and with Mammoth, set them as a 15.5 point underdog, so going to be looking at the points. This will be the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we hit the extra games, 775, 776. It is South Dakota State on the road facing off against Boise State. Boise State is a six-point favorite, and your total is between 143 and one forty. 3.5. I set the total at 144. I'm going to go over. We saw South Dakota State speed up another team that they play very low and slow traditionally in Akron on Monday. So I do think that they're going to be able to do so here and I don't think that Boise State is going to be quite what they were on defense last season because you do have quite a few moving parts. That said, I do think that Boise State is still going to be rock solid. And I did, as a result, make Boise State a 8-point favorite. The travel for South Dakota State is going to be a little bit tough going from Akron, Ohio. Now i to go to Boise, Idaho within about 48 or so hours and the guy that I'm really looking for, Tyson Dagenhart, Last season, 10 points, 4 boards, shot 42.5% from 3-point range. as a 6'7 combo player, great defender, great shooter, so he's got all the goods. When you lose someone like an Emmanuel Akon, that does hurt you quite a bit, but back in the fold for this team, you do have Marcus Shaver Jr. who 13 in there 13.5 points for contest, shot in the mid-30s from 3-point range. You take a look at Mohamed Siala. He should be able to help this team out down low after a little bit of an afterthought. At Detroit last season, but is someone that's six foot ten, seven feet tall, so that's going to be able to add a little bit of size along. Lucas Milner, another guy that didn't see a lot of minutes last season, but. I think he's going to be able to bust out and have a big season. Then Don't overlook Kobe Young as well, a star freshman that I think is going to be in for a relatively solid season. Flip side for South Dakota State. They've lost a lot of their production from last season, but I like what I saw out of Matt Detlinger. He was among the top 50 in terms of field goal shooting percentage players a few seasons ago. Charlie Easley and Alex Arians. They combined for 16 points per contest on over 49% three-point shooting a season ago. These guys did not make it three-night number one. I do think that they're going to be able to heat up a little bit, but I do have concerns for South Dakota State playing down low a little bit. Zeke Mayo, he's able to do a little bit of everything, 13-7 and seven in that season opener against Akron, but that's up for South Dakota State. Not quite the same three-point shooting team that they were a season ago. I think that Boise State is going to be able to knife inside on South Dakota State and that will allow them to be able to cover this number at home. Boise State was also a very poor free throw shooting team last season. They shot as a collective only about 65% at the free throw line. They get out of there guys like Akad, Abu-Kihab who are liabilities at the free throw line and instead they've got better free throw shooters like Dagenhart and Shaver who both shot above 76% at the free throw line that should allow Boise State to cover more of these numbers. So, somebody told 144. I'm looking over and I'm willing to lay up to 8 with Boise State. Now let's hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are
4: complete but there are some extra games today so we go into the bonus
2: this starts with 306627 306628 it is Maris and they are going to be playing Ossu American. American is a two and a half point underdog, and your total on this game is 132. I disemaris as a seven point favorite with American. They do bring back quite a few pieces from last season. Problem is, those pieces that are returning. I just don't think are very good in general when it comes to this American bunch. You were able to have Johnny O'Neill give the team nine points, five boards, did shoot 37.5 percent from three point range. Six foot nine, little bit of a combo player, so he's got some nice versatility there. Victor Brown Jr. is coming in after he had a little bit of a pedestrian year last year has been bouncing around just really in terms of the fold, so we shall see what he's able to do because Elijah Stevens, he was really the main ball handler for this team. Three assists, shot 35% from three, so Brown is probably going to be looked to to relieve a little bit of that pressure. And for Maris, you did see quite a few transfers during the offseason. J.O. Atika, the top scorer from last season, he's now playing at Wake Forest. Guys like Ricardo Wright and Jr. being out of the fold, that does leave. Question as to what you're going to be able to get out of Maris, but Tyler St. Fersey, who the last few seasons it's been a little bit of an afterthought. I think that he's going to get back to his freshman form where he had six and a half points, 3 boards, shot 37% from 3. As a six foot four, a little bit of a combo player. This is a team in which a hole is always greater than the sum of its parts. And Cam Ferris should be able to take some pressure off the backboard as well. Shooting 40% from 3-point range, he sees a go at Robert Morris and Stefan Ingo. Last two seasons, he's averaged 2.5 blocks per contest. He was at Maine, so he was really under the radar. I think that he's going to be able to do a very solid job down low against an American team that they didn't have a single guy. Average more than five rebounds per contest. I think that this is going to be a slow and grimy matchup Both of these teams ranked outside of the top 200 in terms of possessions per game. American of the most anemic offenses in all of college basketball last few seasons. Maris I think is going to have a tough time putting the ball in the basket and they don't really have that main ball handler so I think turnovers and a second chance opportunities are going to be a plenty and bad second chance opportunities at that for Maris but I do think that Maris has a little bit of better three-point shooting. I think that they win the battle down low and that is why at home I made Maris a seven-point favorite so I'm more to lay the points with the Red Foxes set my total at 129. So diving under as well. 306, 629. 306, 630. South Dakota is going to be playing against Lipscomb. Lipscomb is a four and a half point underdog. Total game is 150 and a half. I said South Dakota as a six and a half point favorite, I think that this is a little bit too much love for a bunch in Lipscomb that I have my question marks with them now. Asan Asadula, he is amazing for this team as he led the team in points, rebounds, assists, and blocks last season. He had 15 points, nine boards, four and a half assists, at a block per contest. As a six foot eight, little bit of a combo player, he even shot 32% from three point range. And then when it comes to Jacob Ognjasevic, he was able to shoot about 46% from three point range a season ago. He's able to give you a double figure amount of points per contest, but you've got to be wondering how they're going to be bringing the ball up as well. A.J. McGinnis is someone that comes in from Cincinnati after he had a relatively pedestrian year last season. Will Pruitt is able to give you a steal per contest, so his overall game is halfway decent, and don't sleep on Tommy Murr. I do think that Murr, after he gave the team six half points per contest, is going to be able to take off, shot 36% from three-point range, but I do think that night number two for A.J. Plyswit is going to be much better. He was trying to get back into form in that game against Wisconsin during the 2020-21 season, probably Prior to him getting hurt, he's averaging 19 points, shot 43.5% from three-point range. It was his first game back against Wisconsin on Monday. So, I do think that at number two, is going to be better. And you've got Cruz petio Hunt. Back in the fold, he had 21 points against the Wisconsin Badgers two seasons ago during the 2021-22 campaign. He really led the way for the team. 15 points, shot 39% from three-point range. Loss of top rebounder Hunter Goodrich that does hurt the team quite a bit. But Tazos Kamatetos is someone I do like. He's got good versatility. Last season, shot 37.5% from three with 11.5 points, five and a half boards. Is able to dole out two steals per contest. And when it comes to the South Dakota team in general, I do think that they're going to be very versatile. They are a team that ranked at the top 50 in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, and Lipscomb, a bottom 30 team last season, and points a lot on a per possession basis, having to travel all the way to the great state of South Dakota for Lipscomb, who's out there in Nashville, Tennessee. I think that that is going to be quite a trek for them. I think that that elevates the home court advantage of South Dakota. As a result, I did set the Coyotes as a six half point favorite. I'm going to lay it. set 151 and a half. so I'm also going to be going over. This is going to be the DK Nation pick. 306-631, 306-632. Louisville is gonna be playing as a Bellerman. Bellerman's a 12-point underdog and your total on this game is 135. And the DKNA should pick is on Bellarmine with the points. I set them as a 5.5 point underdog and the bigger reason why I'm going with this game, because typically I go with the normal Las Vegas board in terms of my DKNA should pick today I'm going with an extra game is because I really want to highlight how bad Louisville is this season. L. Ellis is pretty much the only player in the backcourt for this team, and I'm not even kidding when I say that. It's L. Ellis and absolutely nobody else. This Louisville team lost to some D2 school like Lenore or Ryan when it came to their exhibition matchups and they had another challenge from another D2 school. Just not too terrific. Now, for Bellerman, the big key for this team is that they do lose Zill and Penn from last season. He's out playing for Vermont. He was able to put in their 16 and a half points, five assists. He was Mr. Doodle for them, so that is going to be a little bit brutal along with losing some like a CJ Fleming. That is gonna to be tough, but at the same time for Bellarmine, they do return some of their pieces from last season. Like I'm expecting a big year from Justin Betts, who had seven points, seven boards, three assists per game, nice little six foot six, six foot seven, do it all sort of player. Sam DeVault, he had a little bit of a disappointing year last season. I think that he's gonna be able to pick it up. Quite a bit as well. And then you've got Langdon Hennon. He comes in after he had right around 4.5 points per contest last season at William & Mary. He should be able to do a good job in the backcourt. And on top of that, you've got Garrett Tipton. Tipton, he last season was able to shoot about 32% from three. He showed some nice promise towards back half of the season. I think that he's going to be able to give the team a lot of production. And then you've also got Kurt Hoff. He was able to give the team about four and a half rebounds per game. Just a well-run machine in which a hole is greater than some of its parts. And for Louisville, bringing in someone like a Brandon Huntley Hetfield, that is solid as he last season was able to give the team right around 4.3 rebounds per game while he was at Tennessee a former top 75 recruit, so that's the place where you want to be, and Sidney Curry, you take a look at what he did towards back half of last season in ACC play, he was able to do a very rock solid job, I remember the 24 points, 14 rebounds they had against Virginia overall in the final 5 games of the campaign he was averaging about 8-9 to nine rebounds per contest, putting up 13 plus points per game, so he was able to show some nice promise towards back half of the season, what are you going to be able to get out of freshman Mike James though in the backcourt, it clearly was not very good against the 91 teams They are playing. Jalen Withers was able to do a solid job. So for Bellarmine, they are in a little bit of transition. But at the same time, this is a little team that with this backcourt having nothing but LLs, I cannot trust them. I did set Bellerman As a result, it's just a five and a half point underdog. My DK Nation pick, going to be taking the points with Bellerman. Bellerman, since they have joined the D1 ranks, they have ranked in the bottom 30 in terms of total possessions per game. I think that they're going to be in for another slog in this one. So I'm going to be diving under. And on the DK Nation pick, going to be taking the points with Bellerman. 306, 633, 306, 634. It is San Diego. And they're going to be playing us to Florida Gulf Coast. Dunk City is a five-point underdog. Dunk's game is 146. I think that this is too high of a total. You take a look at Steve Lavin and the last time that he was coaching at the Division I level and his teams, they really didn't embrace the three ball too much. I don't think that they're going to be playing overly up-tempo. And for Florida Gulf Coast, when they knocked off USC, it sounded like they were doing so running at some ridiculous pace. Pat Chambers, he now takes over the program after he's coaching at Penn State, and when I was at Penn State, he was never necessarily too much of an up-tempo guy, and for San Diego, I did set them as an 8-point favorite. I think that maybe we're overreacting just a little bit to Florida Gulf Coast, taking down a USC team that is clearly hampered in the front court. and when it comes to San Diego, a very good backcourt for this team. Sico Sishu Jawara in their first game against a 91 school, he was able to put in their 17 points after last season shot, 42.5% for 3, 12.5 points per contest when I was at Weber State. They bring in Jaden Dallaire as well. He should be the most dominant low post player in this game. Six foot nine gentleman that was at Sanford last season was able to put in there right about 10 or so points per contest, was able to give the team four boards per game, so bringing him in I think is absolutely massive. And then you also return Marcellus Erlington, a very good versatile player who shot 40% for free two seasons ago last year in a higher usage role. He was able to give the team 13 points, six half boards, doesn't necessarily dole it out, but that's why you've got someone like Jace Townsend in the fold. Flip side for Florida Gulf Coast. Impressive win over USC and I do like that they brought in Chase Johnson from Stetson in that opening night game. Was able to put in their 20 points per contest last year. Put in 15 points per game. Shot 40% from three-point range. Isaiah Thompson, a 40% three-point shooter from Purdue, should be able to do a solid job, but I really am questioning where the low post play is going to be coming from. Zach Anderson, he was able to have 10 rebounds in that game against USC. I don't know if he's going to be able to duplicate that too much, though. Last season, he was sort of an off starter for Florida Gulf Coast at 6'7". He doesn't necessarily have the world's greatest size. You've got guys like a Cyrus Largie and Caleb Cato bag full for Florida Gulf Coast to be more defensive stoppers in general. I think that this total is a little bit too high. I don't see either of these teams necessarily playing too up but I do think that with San Diego, Jaden Delaire going to be paying massive dividends for them, along with Eric Williams Jr., who was able to average double figures the last two seasons out there in the Pac-12. Made San Diego the 8-point favorite. I think that the Steve Lavinaro starts with a cover on the D1 board told total to 135. So looking under as well. And we wrap things up with 306-635. 306-636. It is Portland and they are going to be playing us to Florida AM. AM is an underdog of between 21 and 21 and a half points. So on game is 134 and a half. I'm one delay up to 21 with Portland. I did set Portland as a 21.5 point favorite, so if this goes up to 22 or more, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Florida A&M. With how tight the line is right now, I am personally going to be waiting, but I do take a look at this Florida A&M team, and they lose darn near everything from last season. Chase Bars, who last year had right around 2.3 boards and 2 points per game. He's one of the lone returning players from a season ago. They bring back Dominguez Stevens. He had about 4.5 points per contest last season, but he was held out in that game against Oregon and you've got to figure that he's not going to be back and forth in this one as well. In that opener against Oregon, You didn't have a single guy put in there more than eight points per contest. Florida AM just traditionally is a team that doesn't take a lot of threes. They have a tough time controlling the ball. They don't have that main facilitator out there on the floor, and they're having to face off against a Portland team that Shante Liggins was really able to turn things around for them last season, and a big reason why all the versatility that they have. Now, you do want to take note that they were dealing with a few injuries of themselves, as Moses Wood did not play opening night, and I'd be surprised if he plays in this one eight combo player that shot 44% from three, 14 points per contest last season, but you are going to have Mike Meadows in the fold. He had 15 points, five boards in the season opener last season. Doled out three assists, had a steal, ten points per game. He followed Leggins over from Eastern Washington. Jack Perry is another guy that did so as well. Good facilitator, good just general defender. Not a guy that's going to give you a lot of points at about five points per contest last season. But Tyler Robertson, he's able to do it all. Guy stands six six. Shot 36 percent from three last season. 15 points, six and a half boards, four and a half assists. I really love his overall game. And for Florida A and M, they're just completely bereft of talent. I think that this line should be 21 and a half, so at 21 or less I'm willing to lay it with Portland. We shall see how this shakes out in the a.m. I'm going to be wait, waiting on a little bit of line movement, but that's it. I think the Florida A.M. and going to be in for a long year offensively. They scored 45 points against Oregon. I think that they're going to be looking to play a slow style, and I think that they have to play a slow style just because they are very, very bad on offense, to say the least. So, looking to lay up to 21 with Portland, and somebody told 134 and a half, so looking under, and that will wrap things up for the Wednesday edition of Coast to Coast Soup Sound part of the Visa Family podcast. A big thanks to Terrence Oglesby of Field of 68 for joining me in the last segment. Also does a great job with his play-by-play and color analysis on many college basketball games as well. And if you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Coast Coast Suits, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you got one of two ways to be able to throw those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at unit underscore 81. Keep it mind, letter ZM. Namey does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season on this podcast, giving you a picks and analysis on every game on the betting board. So I'll be coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.
0: The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world.
1: We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets